Thank you for joining us for live paranormal radio. From the paranormal to the unexplained, it all happens here. It all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in our live video chat 24-7 with our live paranormal radio show hosts and other like-minded people. Live. Paranormal.com, the only interactive social chat room supported by Full Interaction Media. Stop by now and join the fun. Stop by now and join the fun. It's Raising the Vibration. Right here on the Live Paranormal Radio Network. Please join us at LiveParanormal.com, also at iHeartRadio.com, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podomatic, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM, and they are, there are more that I have yet to memorize. I'm your host, Sheena Metal. I'm a psychic medium. I'm a uh, interfaith minister. I'm a 27-year talk radio host and then all different kinds of artists here. I come to you live from my home in Los Angeles uh, every Tuesday at 5 o'clock Pacific time, this show an offshoot of a movement of peace, love, kindness, and unity that I founded in 2016 to carry on my mama's teachings. Um, It's about uh, raising your vibration, right? What is your service? What is your passion? What are you doing to make the world a better place? How are you ascending, evolving, inspiring others, sending the elevator down and bringing some folks up with you? Uh, These are such important things in our world. And um, since my mom's death in 2016, as I've seen uh, so much of the world changing and I'm always trying to participate in the growth of it all, uh, I realized how important it was to bring out the spiritual side of me. I always say, now I wear my underwear on the outside and share with you some people that I love from my spiritual life, from my artistic life, um, from my life of people that are in the world of nonprofits and give back. And we talk about everything that has to do with making the world a better place, sharing your story, being an authentic person, and then how does that help everybody? How how does how, you know, because it's one of those things where um, it's like if you're in an escape room. This is probably a very weird example. And as you're figuring out how to open the next door, everybody else gets to walk through that door. And you're all kind of working together, right? When a clue is divulged, Everybody has it, the answer to it. And I think that's kind of life, right? As we figure ourselves out, especially those of us that are in entertainment or media or the spiritual arts, uh, clergy, that we kind of live out loud and share our messages with everybody. As we discover a truth, other people have the answer to that too. So as I sit here on the radio with wonderful people and we work through things and talk about things, then maybe something in there will resonate with you. And it'll help you to feel a little more positive, a little happier, a little healthier, um, a little more well-seated within yourself. Uh, My guest today has been a guest on many of my shows, never this one, I don't think. She's a wonderfully talented actress, writer, producer, and um, it's been a long time, and I'm thrilled to have her here. Uh, Please welcome to this show, and my first time here on Live Paranormal, iHeartRadio, I don't think she's been on this show yet. Uh, the wonderful Wendy Bryant Michaels is here. How are you, my friend? It's wonderful to have you here. Sheena, your voice is so melodic. It's beautiful. I'm Thank so you, happy to be here. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, this I could listen to this voice and just be silent for an hour. I hope you have meditation tape. Oh, 
<laughs> you know what? I'm working on it. It's something people keep okay. asking me about, so I'm working <laughs> on it. Yeah, isn't isn't that interesting? You know, I, I I don't know if we've actually talked since I started wearing my underwear on the outside, but after my mom died, I sort of got the message that I had to bring my spiritual self to the forefront, and mostly from her. And um, it's interesting how everything I ever was in my life prepared me to be everything I am now. And I think that happens with a lot of us, right? So using my voice for a living was kind of training, right, as an actor and as a radio host and fronting bands for, you know, using my voice now to heal people. There are no accidents, right? We go through life and, and we're given these tools and we have them all for a reason. It's kind of beautiful, I think. I totally agree. And you know what I love most about that story is that it was gifted to you um, after your loss of, of your mother. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it, very special. It's been everything. It's helped the grieving process. And I know we've all lost people. I don't know who you've lost. But my mother and I were so close that I always thought my whole life, what am I going to do when she goes? Is there going to be a purpose for me? And my mom used to always say from the time I was little, you know, look, kid, I'm, I'm 33 years older than you, so I'm probably going to go first. So promise me when I die, you won't die. And then one day she died. And the first thing I thought was I promised her I'm not going to die, but why am I here? And I was cleaning out her house, and I was going through her office, and I found a journal that she wrote when I was in college. I didn't even know she was a journaling person or that there was a journal, but Scorpios have secrets. So there you go. And she said <laughs> in this journal that she had survived so many horrible things in her life, which was true, and that she really believed that the reason she was here was to raise me so I could go on and do things for the world. And I thought about that for, you know, days and weeks after I read it. And then one day I realized that that was true, but it was backwards, that I was here to spend the first half of my life soaking up her teachings and the next half of my life sharing them with the world. And that's really when I decided to find the nonprofit. And, 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 and through that process, right, through keeping her alive by sharing stories about her or passing on wise words that she said, it got me through the grieving process because it's like she's still here. And also um, her words got to touch a lot of people that never got to meet her. And, um, you know, a good comes out of everything, right? It, if, uh, if, if, if something dies and you bury it in the ground, a flower grows up where it was, you know? And I think for me, this was how I kept sane. And then it wound up changing my entire life. So never say never, right? Never say never. You know, I, I lost my brother suddenly in 2003. And so sorry. Uh, he, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, and he was my younger brother by six years. And I had never dealt with that level of grief in my life. I just didn't know what to do with it. And uh, I, I kept a lot of it inside. I built an altar in my All I knew how to do was build Beautiful. an altar in my house of his things. And uh, I kept that up for a long time. Um, I think actually until I moved back to Los Angeles. This was in Miami. And, you know, in 2017, I started writing a play about him he was mentally ill he suffered from um schizophrenia and so one of the ways that i worked through my grief was to write a play about him and the discovery of that schizophrenia 
and what it's like in a family, the family dynamic around mental illness. And, you know, I have this weird, dark sense of humor about things, which gets me through life. And so I thought it was like a dramedy, but people that have read it said this is not a comedy. Um, But I have my own (laughs) sense of fun that I put in things in there. And it was uh, it was published uh, in in during COVID. Um, it was developed. Oh and, wow! And, yeah, I developed it uh, with a workshop through Trey Nichols, who I'll talk about later on through the uh, Alliance of Los Angeles Playwrights, a wonderful organization. And so I first started to write about it, and you know you have to revisit the trauma of of death, but doing so so many years later, I was really able to work through it. Sheena, a lot. And now it gives me great yeah. pleasure to read the play. And um, I'm looking for a home to have it produced because I'd love to see it on the stage. It's be- and you will because that message needs to come forward, right? Um, when, you, um, when you have something, it needs to be shared. I always talk about this with my mom. My mom was um, an extremely psychic person. Uh, and, and wasn't raised by me, so it wasn't all okay, you know. And so she spent a lot of her life away from people because the social anxiety of feeling everybody's stuff was so much that she wasn't often around people. I used to always say, if you want mom's wisdom, you have to come here. When my friends were here and the doors were always open, everything was wonderful, but she didn't like mm-hmm. to go out. Like She'd go to my stuff and see my plays and stuff, but she wasn't a party person. She wasn't a social person. She had a couple of good friends, but there weren't people around her all the time. Um, now that, I mean, even before she passed, right, me passing on her spiritual stuff, I always say that when I became a radio host, we both were hosts. It was just my voice because I was sharing so much of her wisdom. It, it's given all of her stuff a life, probably the same way, right? A lot of people didn't really get to know your brother, but through this play, they will. Right. right. And, you know, there's, I have not seen on stage, I don't know of a play, maybe someone can enlighten me, about mental illness. It's a very, yeah. very delicate thing to write about um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. And that's why I added, you know, I come from, as a writer, uh, I have a lot of subtext because I'm also an actress. I moved from, you know, acting to writing. So there's always a lot of subtext in my words. And there's a lot of subtext underneath, you know, it's called Loving Matthew. I changed the names to protect the innocent, of course. Um, and I didn't even think of that name. Um, actually, Trey Nichols did because I'm not very good at thinking of names of plays. I haven't thought of any of my names of any of my shows, to be honest with you. Somebody else has. Uh, so it's yeah. about loving Matthew, which is uh, very tender. You know, once the title was given to me, I said, oh, yes. How, how do we love mental illness? How do we love the person and, and not the disease? That's extraordinary. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. And that's yeah. hard, right? I mean, I think we deal with that all the time every day with people that we know that have stuff going on, and oftentimes only the family knows, right? And Our um, family didn't even know until later, Sheena. We didn't know until oh, wow. much later. I was in my 30s. He was, um, uh, spoiler alert, he was involved in a car accident, a really serious one, okay. and in the hospital for a month. And then he uh, called me 
And he said, um, and he was living with someone at the time who didn't pick him up. He was in the hospital. He was released from the hospital, and they released him with his uh, medication. And anyway, he called me, and I said, where do you, yeah, sure, I'll come pick you up. And here's the thing. You know, his brain wasn't quite right. So I said, where are you going to be? He said, I'll be in Macy's. I was like, in Macy's, in like this well-to-do shopping center in Miami Beach. I said, okay, I'll come get you. And I walked into Macy's. He was in the couture section, and he had a cast on his leg, a cast on his wrist, and he had a walker. And I remember stopping dead in my tracks and looking at that picture thinking, I don't think I can hold this together. I cannot even believe that's my brother. And that's the Mm. – I kept that. That was in – I think 1991, 92, that's the opening of the play because that vision stayed with me forever. Yeah. Wow. So we do get Um, through things, you know, through really weird ways. Absolutely. Had he isolated himself from the family? Is that how nobody knew that he had schizophrenia? Did he himself know? Uh, no, not until he moved in. He ended up staying with me after I picked him up. Um, okay. And he he didn't really isolate. He was dual diagnosed. He um, self-medicated. And so the family just assumed that it was an addiction issue, not a mental health issue, which is common. Okay. Uh, because they yes. self-medicate. Yes. So nobody – and he was, um, you know, in and out of jails and – he just typical men on the streets and would steal things, and we just couldn't figure it out. And so with a little bit of embarrassment, really, it was like we just didn't know. We just thought this was addiction. And then when he came to stay with me, he was sitting on the couch one day, and he was talking to himself. He was talking to somebody, not to himself. He was talking to somebody. And it was so clear to me that he was talking to somebody. And over the next few days, I really saw, I said, okay, there's something going on here. This is way more than what we think it is. And that was the beginning of that journey of discovering the mental illness. Mm -hmm. Wow. Did did he ever tell you who he was talking to? Um, You know, I, I asked my mom that because that dialogue is in the play. And he... My mother said to me that he said, people that don't like me. Oh, okay. Yeah, people that don't like me. Yeah. So he didn't hear good things from these voices. Right. And he wasn't violent at all. He was was very gentle, but he was just, um, I call it, you know, tortured with something between his ears. Yes. Well, it's from a spiritual perspective because... As a, I agree. As a spiritual person, you know, I always sort of wonder about the spiritual ramification of everything. I think everything is a mixture of emotional, intellectual, you know, uh, physiological and spiritual. And you wonder sometimes it, with folks with schizophrenia if they just have a different ability to pick up on stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. That, you know, maybe there really was something talking to him that, that was not telling him positive things. And for whatever reason, the illness allowed him to hear what other people can't hear. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very there tough are place to be, I think. 
you're right. I've read that. I've read that. That um, my mom used to always say, um, there was a guy that used to sit outside of my grocery store. When I first moved to to L.A. from Orange County, he would sit outside of my Ralph's. Then it was a Hughes. And he would yell, 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 yell. And one day I said, you know, who are you yelling at? He said, the, the dragon, the dragon. And I remember my mom dragon. saying to me, how do you know the dragon isn't there? Do you know what I mean? Because my mom had worked in the psychological world with kids, and my grandmother was a psychologist. So I had come from that world, but then my mother also had the spiritual perspective on top of it. And I think everything is multilayered. And I wonder sometimes with folks who are schizophrenic if they're – seeing things that we just don't see in many ways and mm-hmm. um, that most people don't see and they don't know how to fit that into the world. Do you know what I mean? And that's a, that's a terribly isolating feeling to feel like you're seeing or hearing things that other people can't understand. That must be a terribly isolating feeling. I um, completely agree. But he could also be so... Uh, lovable, squeezable, and adorable, yes. and funny. And he, you know what? He was yes. very, very smart. He would quote things. When he yes. was lucid, he was incredibly lucid. You know, they're mm-hmm. hands down, math-wise, he could, you know, he was just smart. He was just smart when he was lucid. And I love that about him. And yeah. he was big, you know. He was bigger than, like, six one, I think, or I don't know, maybe five nine, six one, And big guy my little baby brother, and I just adored him. And you know what's interesting? You know, nothing is by accident, right? So during COVID, I went to Miami and stayed with my mom first for seven months and then came back to L.A., and then I just got back a month ago, and I was there five months. Mm. And she is of the generation that everything is in photo albums, and it's so magnificent because she has years and years and years (laughs) of us growing up. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right? And and all by year. And – my, I don't know if it was my, um, yeah, okay. So it was my stepmother. My father passed away in 2018. And my stepmother said, would you like some of your father's old slides? And I had never seen them. Or I don't recall seeing them. Remember slides? I had to put them in a projector yeah. and oh, put them yeah. up against the screen. So she, yep. she sent them to us. And one of the pictures of the slides was this picture of me I was about I guess we were six years he was two and I was eight I'm leaning down on our driveway and I'm holding his arm and looking up at him with such love and I've always had that kind of love for my brother oh it's so precious I'll find a way to put it in the script you know oh that's wonderful yeah yeah well I love the way life shows up for it absolutely it's that kind of sweetness and that kind of receptiveness do you know that I'm that I'm talking about? And I think it's it's having an open, an open. You know, there was a time when if you saw or heard half the things I do as a psychic, they would have put you in a mental institution. I think it's so important mm. that when we look at people that have what we call mental illness, that we think about what are they really seeing? What are we seeing? How are we interpreting it? You know, it's like um, it's like folks on the autism spectrum, right? I like to think of that not as a disability, but as a difference. They're functioning on a different energy level, a different energy plane than we do, and everything feels a little bit different. That doesn't mean it's less than; it just means it's different, right? And I think it's that way. I mean, look at the history of how many people, great 
famous people, artists, inventors, scientists, doctors were bipolar or schizophrenic or you know what I mean? I mean, it's everybody's a little bit different. And I think that the, the stigma that we put on people to everybody has to be the same makes it so hard to be a human being on the earth. If we just let everybody be where they were at, maybe it could help them to let go of some of the stuff that makes them feel um, like they need to self-medicate, right? You know, I I find that, that, yeah, go ahead. For all the stuff going on inside of us, other people make it worse, you know? You know what really helps me, because I can feel like an oddball on this this planet, certainly, Um, finding a tribe of like-minded people. It doesn't have to be a lot, Sheena. But people yes, that I, agree. Um, I can just be as intuitive, as thought-provoking, as silly, as dumb, as smart mm-hmm. as I, as I want to be or I can be. You know, basically, it yeah, I love that. to just taking you as you are, who you are today. Yes, exactly. And exactly. when you find that, it's magical and it's a gift. Yes. It's a gift. Yes. Absolutely. And not judging. It's so important not to judge. I, so I started in public access. Well, I started as a theater actor, and then I fell into doing a public access show, and it's kind of how I started what is now my career in, in the artistic world. And you met all kinds of interesting people, right? And I, I don't even know how I met these guys, but I wound up hanging out with these two guys that I saw them quite a bit. They were best friends, and... One was bipolar and one was schizophrenic, but they were both medicated and had come from a place of not doing well to doing okay. And the, uh, the, the schizophrenic gentleman, super crazy smart, and he had worked for some, gotten right out of college in like three years, went to work in some government facility as some kind of a microbiologist, and he claimed something happened while he was there. And that was what sort of tipped off the schizophrenia. So one night he's telling me all these stories about, you know, the government and they're this and they're, they're covering up this and they're, they're covering up that. And, and then he said to me, after he told me three hours of stories, he said, I have to tell you that all happened before I was medicated. I don't have any idea how much of that actually happened. But to me, oh. it was all within the realm of possibility because I grew up in a house where I could be very, think very open-minded, and it all seems like stuff that could happen. It didn't seem that way out to me. Um, and so I think sometimes we need to listen to people when they're talking to us about what they're hearing and what's going on and what they're fearing and not judge. Because, you know, I'm, as a spiritual counselor, I hear some stuff, and it's very important not to to judge, you know, my psychologist grandmother, she would have judged and diagnosed everybody. But she also lived (laughs) in a world that was really void of spirituality and was all about what a textbook said. But, you know, I think it's, we've come to this place in life, more things than heaven and earth, right? And it's so important that we find people where they're at, love them where they're at, try to help them with their pain where they're at, and not not judge them and not expect that, understand that things happen to people all the time. And sometimes maybe the dragon is there, you know, 
it's um I think I love that as a title. It's, what, right? Wouldn't that sometimes be a great title? The, sometimes the dragon's there. Sometimes yeah. the dragon I mean, is there. Well, you know, what if somebody was completely misunderstood and the truth was the dragon was there? I mean, from a spiritual perspective, and I'm not discounting anybody's diagnosis or mental illness, but from a spiritual perspective, if somebody came to me and said, I'm hearing voices of things that are telling me something negative, I would think, well, what could be there and what's talking to you? So I just think we need to be so much kinder to each other and so much more understanding of each other and so much more, we have to have more mind expansion, right, of the possibility of what something could be and not automatically go to this place of, well, you know what, um, that's bad and you need to go in this corner um, because, we're learning so much, right? And we're learning. Uh, I was just talking to one of my best friends last night about somebody she knows who's involved in this project, which is really, it's like kind of like doctors and spiritual people. And it's about finding that place between medicine and spirituality, which is where they believe the truth lies. And um, I just think we need to just be more careful with each other's hearts. Because I, I hear this story about your brother, and it, it breaks my heart. Because all I can think of is, you know, who did he have to talk to in the beginning? You know, who understood what he was going through? Um, you know? That's why it's so important yeah. when the play gets yeah. out there, that people will see a little bit of his heart. And um, and maybe they'll feel not so alone. No matter what, whatever, what's going on with them, right? You don't have to have, you have the same thing going on with you to feel um, simpatico and empathy with someone. Exactly. And what you described is, you know, a universal theme that I think people can identify with, um, that feeling of isolation and um, not, not fitting in and not knowing that you don't fit in. There's right. uh, really a very funny scene that I added that um, – didn't happen, I embellished, um, but it is representative of his thought process. And he uh, comes to visit me, really me, my character, um, the character, late his sister, <laughs> late at night, really inappropriately late at night, and knocks on the door. He somehow gets past the guard downstairs because uh, she lives in a condo, and he has um, a giant statue but he, he's dragged it there as a present for her. And what he did is he saw it in the condo lawn next door, and he dragged it all the way to her apartment, but he dragged <laughs> it through poop. Sure. So when he opens oh, the okay. door, he doesn't under – yeah, she's like, what the – and it smells. And so there's this whole little, like, um, funny light scene where he gifts her this, but he doesn't really get the inappropriateness of it. Um, and I wrote that she's pretty gentle with him about it, but the really where where she gets upset is that she set a boundary and he crossed it, but not that he brought her the statue from the condo next door, you know. And I hear that. Right, the reason right. I got that idea yeah. from somebody else who told me that their son did that and that the cops were called because yeah. he took the statue out of a neighbor's yard. So it's kind of the melding of, you know, my story and someone else's story. But it happens. Yeah. Right. Right. And But you see how hard we, because he thought that was a gift. 
it was an offering. Um, was an offering. You have yeah. to be. I think he, he yeah. knew it was late at night, but he thought you know he could be forgiven if he he brought a six foot tall statue of a I don't even remember what I put in the play, a deer or something. I don't know. That's. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, I once had a boyfriend who it. was com- <laughs> completely drunk, and one night to f- he was late coming to home, so he had been at a party and had taken somebody's bird bath and brought it to me as a gift. Just See? completely shit faced, and I said, yeah. "What are you doing?" He's like, "I brought you this bird bath," and I'm like, "Where did you get that?" <laughs> oh, I don't know. I was at a party and I took it off the lawn. I'm like, "No, you no, no, you can't do that." But for him, it was his <laughs> way of saying, "I'm sorry, I was out late and I didn't come home." Right. Um, <laughs> My God, do you know how heavy those things are? Unless it was like a I know. One. I don't even know if he remembers <laughs> that story. I'll have to send him a text and see if he remembers that story. But, um, you know, I mean, my, my first cat I ever had, she used to cut off half of a cricket's body and drop it in the cereal bowl for me. And she thought that <gasps> was like a big tithe. Oh, she thought so proud of herself that she gave me half her cricket. And I didn't know what to do because, you know, once that cricket went in there, I was done with the cereal. But I kind of fake ate it to make her feel good because she was, you know, this kind of wild, crazy, almost feral kind of stray who, you know, the vet would would shake when she saw her come in like, oh, God, here's Erin. We're all in for it. But she had this thing with me, (laughs) right? And I was her mommy. So she saw me and she was like, I'm going to give you half my cricket. And that was her big, her big, you know what I mean? And that's all just, but you see, when animals do something, we go, oh, isn't that cute? But if a person does it, then we're like, well, you should know better. But maybe (laughs) you shouldn't. Maybe we just all need to be kinder to each other. I know I'm on this let's be kinder to each other kick lately, but I just think it's such an important thing that we become more understanding of each other's hearts, you know? And that you can Mm -hmm. talk about the good things about your brother and not judge or apologize all the while you're talking about it. I think it's so beautiful because people are imperfect and you can love them for their imperfections. And because um, we all have them, right? And we want that. If we're with people, we want to be loved, don't we? We want to be accepted yes, as we are. Of course. And so, um, you know, the the movement, self-love first, you know, putting on the oxygen mask first, really, I take heart with that because um, the more I learn to really accept and love, take myself as I am, the more I really am able to do that for you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Where, where, if you don't mind me asking, and you never have to answer anything I ask, but what, what is an area in your life where it was hard for you to sort of give yourself that self-acceptance that you needed? Um, in my art, you know, I can be a, a, a taskmaster. And, you know, you want to hear something interesting, Sheena. When I took Please. Acting uh-huh. 101, and there is an Acting 101. Absolutely. Uh, We've all taken it, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there really is Acting 101. And I yep. took that in the in the eighties, okay? And that class frightened me. I was so scared to do it, but it was part of my dream and I, I did it and I showed up for class. And during the course of that class, being in a play, um, and then being through University of Miami and then starting to study professionally. The gig with acting is authenticity and truth, right? 
I couldn't believe yeah. that I found a place where that is what you want. That's what you search for, the presentation yes. of truth. In somebody else's words and in another character's um, personality, right? But sure. you're always but about mm-hmm. presenting the truth of that, you know, not yes. showing or acting, but being. And that was the first place, I think, in my life where I got permission to be truthful. It was actually on yes. the stage. Yeah. Then I had to learn how to transfer it from the stage off because it, it seemed easier for me to come to life in a character than to be Wendy. It's just kind of strange, but yes, that's the story. No, it's yeah. very true. And that's, that's taken decades, and it's a work in progress always. I can, but it's much, much cleaner and softer than it ever has been before. And what I mean by that yeah. is, you know, I have, I wake up and I, before I do anything, I meditate for eight minutes. I, if I do nothing else, and that was suggested to me to just, if you can't, put aside 20 minutes or 30 minutes or do a guided meditation every day, then just do eight minutes a day. And so yeah. that was manageable for me. And I do other meditations, but that, and then I read something spiritual that lifts me up and that makes me feel good and reminds me that I'm not in charge and that I can let go and that I don't have to run the show. And that softens me a little. And then I listen yeah. all day. I just listen. It's it, it's work in the morning to do that because I don't wake up. I'm not one of the people that goes, la, 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 I love life. going to be a great day. Sometimes I do oh. if everything's going perfect. But if it's not, right. then I need to settle back into my spirit. Yeah. Yeah, so, I'm that person that, that does that la, 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 la. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm the la, 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 la person every morning, but not until 10 a.m. I'm not a... I'm not a person who gets up early on purpose. I kind of think getting up early is a punishment. And it's not about not getting sleep because it doesn't matter when I go to sleep. Um, if I have to be up early in the morning, I, I don't really do well with how the early morning feels. It's just not my natural circadian rhythm, you know. Are you a nighttime person? But I person? do try to wake up. I am a nighttime person, yeah. Is that from yeah. your years? I mean, I'm not. Uh, and, yeah. In late night radio? No, I think I'm just naturally a nighttime person. I remember when I was mm. a kid coming downstairs, we had like a spiral staircase you could see through, waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and hearing something downstairs and coming downstairs at like three in the morning and my mom was like total darkness except for the reading light on her chair, reading a book in the middle of the night. And um, I remember once, and my father was the kind of person who, got up at five o'clock in the morning to jog. And I remember my mom saying to me once, I never should have married somebody who was on a different time rhythm than me. <laughs> and I get it because when people are like, I get up at six in the morning just and I love it. I'm like, Oh no, no. Uh, I like late morning. I think it's beautiful. And kind of late afternoon is sort of where I shine. Um, mm. And then I sure the evening is great. I'm not somebody who stays up till dawn. But I like to stay up a little bit after a couple hours after midnight and enjoy the quiet. Yeah, but I, I try to promise oh. myself every night when I go to sleep, I will say to myself, here's why this was a good day. And every morning when I wake up, be open-minded and, and looking forward to the next day 
and not try to carry all the stuff from yesterday and a month ago and 10 years ago into today. I think it's really important. And, you know, radio really helped with that, Wendy, because when you're on the air, you can't do anything but be on the air. And the more radio I did throughout a week, the more it forced me to be in that place of presence all the time, and I got used to it. I got used to always being present, and then it kind of felt weird not to be present. And I got used to, because radio is a kind of performing, a kind of spiritual thing that you have to sort of leave the channel open when you're creating, right? Because I'm here co-creating with you today and with spirit. We're all creating. Um, I got used to leaving that channel open, and I just stopped ever closing it. So I kind of just stay in conversation with universe all the time, and um, that also makes you present. And I'm such a happier person than in times in my life when I wasn't as present as I should have been, you know? Well, I'm never as happy and doing anything but being on stage. I mean, I was, I just, and a lot of it, I can't explain why uh, something happens internally to my body when I step inside of a theater, the wood, uh, the lights. Um, all of the stuff that goes backstage, you know, the, the, the blackness backstage and then the backstage lights and all of that uh, just seeps into my pores and relaxes me automatically. And I didn't know that oh, until, I agree. until I did my first play. Um, but mm. then the performance, the worst part, the worst part, <laughs> that is when they say places and I'm, you know, 10 minutes from, I mean, minutes from going out on stage for the first time. That is, is okay. always felt like I'm going to die. But then when I step into the lights uh, and I have to be completely present to what's going on, there is everything else falls away in my entire life. Mm. It's like it's just the stage, if you can picture it, and then crumbles. Everything else crumbles away. Mm. It's, it's magical. It's my salvation. Yeah. And I had yeah. to learn because you don't. Get, I don't get work. I feel the same time. way. I don't go from job to job. So I had to learn, and I'm still learning, Sheena, because I don't work all the time on the, on, in the stage, mm-hmm. on the stage. So I had to learn to recreate that in life. And with the help of, you know, who I call God and the universe and spirituality sure. um, and people, it happens. Uh, we, I don't want to know if we have time, but I wanted to share this very, very, very spiritual story with you. Please, 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 that please, has, yeah. That, I, I want yeah. to say something quick before you do. Um, yes. I, I believe one of the things, because I feel the same way about plays, and I always say, and, you know, and singing for bands, being in bands, it was the same thing. I always say you're, you're getting ready for the curtain to go up, right? And you think, how in the hell are we all going to do this? <laughs> This is never going to happen. And you literally blink your eyes and the curtain's coming down and you're done. And I really believe that when you are mm-hmm. an artist, you channel. And I mm-hmm. think that, mm-hmm. you know, we all see the story of the writer who falls asleep at the typewriter and looks at the whole, the whole script is written. I mean, I really do think that it's, it's like that because cha- spirit comes in to co-create with you mm-hmm. and takes away your problems, right? I mean, I've done plays with a kidney stone, an ovarian cyst, bronchitis. The minute I get on stage, it's like it disappears. And then you get off stage and I you're had like, a lumpectomy. oh, God, I feel yep. horrible. Yep. You know? I you, had a lumpectomy you, and I was lying down backstage in between going on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I went, that 
and and it's that it's that beauty, right? And that's part of the presence too, because whenever you're in co-creation with spirit, you're in the present, and that's one of the things that's wonderful about a play is that nothing is going on right then except you're creating with spirit and you're doing work for the world because you're providing entertainment for people, right? And that's why you feel so new and refreshed and um, everything is wonderful when you get off stage because mm-hmm. you've done this wonderful work and you've had a little bit of spirit moving through you for two hours. Agreed. It's really beautiful. I'm sorry. Tell, tell the story. I just wanted to say that because I talk about that on the air all the time about how spirit comes in and, in a creative project and co-creates with everybody and how beautiful that is. Well, it is co-creation, and I've always been told, you know, what you love and what your passion is is a gift from, you know, your higher power or your God. That's actually a gift. Absolutely. So yes. um, when I hear it that way, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Then I, I go, you know, that I need to go forward with this, continue to go forward. I'm, now you reminded me of, you know, today with COVID, the show did not go on. But there was a time before COVID where the show went on no matter what. And that was the beauty of theater. Yes. No matter what. Yes. And yes. there was a play I did, uh, The Cover of Life, about three war brides. And one of the characters, there were three, we were, I was one of the three war brides. And we had a scene where we all interacted and did something and she had drank wine the night before and she was allergic to that thing that red wine has in it. I don't, I don't oh, know, sure. but she yeah. was throwing up and she was backstage throwing up and then she'd come on and then she'd go backstage and throw up and it, she finally said, I can't do this next scene. I just cannot. So the two of us went out into the theater and did the scene and tried to do her lines. But remember, like you said, we're in this bubble of, our world and we don't break fourth wall which is the wall that the audience doesn't see which is in front of us all of a sudden lights came up the house lights came up and i heard a voice say ladies and gentlemen excuse me and it was the director stopping the show because it was so bad and i'll tell you what you might as well take off all my clothes and have me ride a bicycle around that stage i felt so naked because I've never had a show interrupted like that. He did the right thing and everybody came back another day, but we were so engrossed in what was happening. Um, different than film. Anyway, want to throw that. Wow. In. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, it. I, um, the first, the first, uh, well, no, I did plays when I was younger, but my first high school thing, it was the end of my freshman year, the end of theater one. And we all had to do what's called Footlight Festival. I can't remember what I did five minutes ago, Wendy, but I can remember that. Um, we all had to do a one act, and we did Noel Coward's Fumed Oak. And interestingly enough, mm. the person who is now my sister, my best friend in the whole world, I met her doing that. She was a senior looking for extra credit, so she took Theater One again. And um, uh, she played my mom, and another person who's, I love on a good Facebook friend played my daughter and this man played the, the man. And, you know, the story of fumed Oak is that this poor man is really henpecked by his wife, his daughter and his mother-in-law in the first part of the scene. And then in the second scene, he kind of goes crazy and tells them all where to go and leave. Well, we got through the first part, the second part started and this poor darling boy, he froze and he stopped talking. And, the other two 
just kind of kept repeating their lines, trying to feed at him. And he, <laughs> he just didn't, he was just like a deer in the headlights. So I just started making stuff up and just yelling at him. And I thought I was probably yeah. going to get kicked out of theater forever. And, <laughs> and it was sort of like, you know, I wouldn't have told you this as a 15 year old, but it was really that co-creation, right? Of spirit coming in and saving me. I didn't even know what I was saying. I was just saying things and people were laughing and I had absolutely no idea what was going on. And I always say that was when, <laughs> no, he froze. No, he, yeah, he was done. Well, that was the end of the year. He never came back to theater. He was, he was done after that. Yeah, that poor thing. Um, that was one of those times when I, you know, before I knew really was, as in my spirituality as I am now, I always say that was one of the times that the hand of God kind of touched me and said, this is what you do. And had I not had that experience, I might not have known what I did and what I, what, and I might not have met my best friend in the whole world. I mean, things happen for a reason. And I remember years ago, years after my mother telling me, when you told me when you were little that you wanted to be an actress, um, I was terrified that you weren't going to be any good and I was going to have to spend the rest of my life telling you you were good, even though I didn't believe it because I love you. <laughs> She's like, but that night when I saw you on stage, I knew you were good and it was the biggest relief of my life. So um, isn't it interesting, right, how, how even through art, spirit puts spiritual lessons in front of us and, um, you know, and comes in and saves the day. Spirit always comes in and saves the day, right? Even when you don't think they're saving the day, there's always some day saving in there somewhere. You know, I'm, now that we're on this, I'm just, because the theater, you know, some of the, the, it's such an interesting phenomenon, uh, theater, because especially if you're married, like I did um, Rabbit Hole by David Lindsay Bear. And it's about a couple who lose their five-year-old, uh, gets hit by a car. So the play opens and that death has already happened. So, you know, the very first week of rehearsal, I have this man in my life now who I've gone through this trauma with. And you instantly bond. You are instantly husband and wife. And it's so easy, at least for me and for other actors that I've worked yes. with. We just I fall agree. Mm-hmm. into that. And, you know, by the end yeah. of the first week, I'm hanging on them and touching them and kissing them. And I would never do that in an, any other setting be so informal yes. but in the theater yes. that intimacy is immediate mm-hmm. this particular mm-hmm. play there was a scene between me and my mother and she was reminiscing and we were up in uh, my son's room and this was her moment in the play right and so I'm standing mm-hmm. there and mm-hmm. she picks up one of his toys and she begins to talk about him really softly and this beautiful monologue she does Gina, uh, Gina and I started coughing and I could not stop coughing. And you could tell oh, wow. she would stop. And I didn't know what to do. I said, I can go off stage and then come back on and get a drink of water and come back on and make something up. My, <clears throat> the guy that played my husband opened the door suddenly and said, honey, here's some water. And just improvised and gave me the, the bottle oh, that's of water fantastic. on stage. And I looked at him like, whatever you want from me for the rest of your life, it's yours. <laughs> That's it, yes. Yep. You can yep. have it yep. all. Yes, baby, whatever you want. Because that mo- And I drank some water and I was fine and the play goes on. But it's extraordinary the moments that the audience may not ever know about but that happen. Yes. 
Absolutely. Sometimes are the most beautiful moments, right? It's um, it's one. I remember. <laughs> should I tell you the story? Okay, I was doing um, last summer at Bluefish Cove at the Stella Adler Theater, playing oh my the God, I best did that friend. Show. You so and it was, did you play uh, Annie? I sure did. Yes. And oh I'm sitting on this wood role. bench. Isn't that fantastic? We're sitting on this wood bench. And it's the scene where, um, you know, the lead is telling her whole story and confessing to her best friend that her cancer is back, right? Telling the whole story about the woman she met in chemo who died and her cancer is back. And I go to take a step towards her. And, you know, local theater, your props suck. And I, and I realize, I can't believe I'm telling you the story. I realized that a piece of wood had come off the bench and pinned my nether regions to the bench. <laughs> It had come up under my shorts, gone under my underwear, grabbed a hold of something, and pinned it. And so she's emoting and crying, and I'm trying to stay in character. And the whole time I'm trying to scooch, it's like when your cat scoots its butt on the carpet. I'm trying to, like, and I'm thinking to myself, (laughs) what, what happens when the scene ends? Do I actually make a joke? Do they have to lift the whole park bench up and take me out? How in the world am I going to get out of here? Because I am pinned. Yeah. And at the very last minute when she starts crying, I scooch and it went boop and popped out. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my God. I... So every night when oh. we did that show after that, I put a towel down. And the director's like, why are you putting a towel down before you sit? And I'm like, well, because I, I think there's a, a piece of my genitalia still stuck to the bench. So let's not let that happen to anyone else. But you that's know, theater, I right? To put, Stuff happens. That's theater. Yep. And I started to put cough drops in my pocket in the costume in case I coughed again. That's smart. I would. Yep. That's smart. You know. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's what we do, right? The show must you go learn. on. I mean, it's, show. You, you, you know, when, when I did that show, one of the actors in the show, I don't know what was going on with her. I guess she had friends there. Opening night, she decides to walk uh, downstage and deliver every single line to the audience. Not look at any of us, not interact in the scene. She was just in the audience, all about performing. Like a, it was a soliloquy that never ended. And we just all um, kind of figured hmm, it out. Not cool. Not cool. Yeah, you have what to. What are you going to do? You? Right? But an interesting thing yeah. happened. So the play ended, right? And a bunch of people were there to review it. And the review came out, and um, everybody got a review except for her. And she got upset. She thought the directors, were, the director and the producer were mad at her, and they had excluded her. And so I knew the guy that was writing the review. So I, I called him one day, and I said, hey, when you wrote the review, it's interesting because you mentioned all of us except for her. Was there a reason why? And he said, wait, who was she? He didn't remember her being in the show. <gasps> So being an actor, as he was, right, and also a writer, you know, a a journalist, when she broke protocol, somehow she was erased from his mind, and he didn't even remember she was there. But I think uh, from a spiritual perspective, Wendy, right, when you break away from the flow, you alienate yourself outside of everything. And she thought it was going to draw attention to her. But what it did was it put her off everybody's radar. Isn't that interesting? You know, it is interesting, but it doesn't surprise me. I had a, I had a, a co-star um, 
that was very much he, – he did talk to the audience. The play was written that way. But that gave well, him license yeah. to do, yeah, a lot of improv, which sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. And I remember one time I had a robe on in one scene, and he improvised and came behind me and picked up the whole robe and exposed my backside to the audience. And I wow. reacted in character on stage, and I got off. And that night when, that, when the show closed for the night, I was so upset. I just talked. I said, you cannot do that kind of stuff. You can't do that without yeah. asking me permission. You know, that showing my underwear to the audience. I think I may have had a bathing suit on because I, I showed my bathing suit in the second act. Um, but it jars you. But, you know, it also infuses something into the rest of the actors. Like that infused something yes. like a jolt into me. And I yeah. remember the same playwright. It was um, me and my co-star. And he's a brilliant actor, and we played husband and wife, and he is talking to the, not audience, but he's talking to me about this pill that he's going to take. And he has this whole, like, soliloquy about what he thinks is going to happen. He went up, very rare for him to do this. He went up on his line. He just said, well, uh, when I take this, and there was a pause, he said, away I go. And that was all he said. And then. For the first time in all my years as an actress, because he's, he just made me laugh, and I couldn't stop laughing. And so he had to work in why he had to improvise to help me laughing. And finally he said, you got to stop laughing. But he said it in character, and then that jolted me back. But it's crazy. It's fun, and it's love. It's like a love fest. I love theater. There's nothing else like it. Yeah. I do too. There's a, I just I even love the way theaters feel, like just being in a theater, even if I'm just watching something. Um, yep. I think it's very much church. And, um, you know, I was such an eager little actor who wanted to do everything right. And um, my theater teacher, which is funny because I certainly don't think this was true of him, but he said, my high school theater teacher, you know, make sure that you, you treat your body as a temple because everything you're going to be doing, um, it's all, it's all going to be moving through your physical body. And, you know, I, I mm. never started drinking and I never did any drugs because of that, because I thought, well, I can't, I can't put something in my body. It's, I, I need it for acting. And then by the time I wow. didn't necessarily think I needed it that way, I was already old enough that I'm like, well, I'm not going to start now. But, yeah, that, that's how <laughs> I took it so seriously. And I still do that. Yeah. I, I feel that way about being a radio host. I feel that way about the work, I spiritual work that I do as a psychic. I mean, you, you know, there is a reverence, right? There is a, it's a gift that spirit gives you um, abilities, talents, and we all get them. But we have to have um, su- such gratefulness and, and feel so blessed and have such a reverence for them. Because um, to be given a gift where you can do something like, um, you know, morph on stage into somebody else so fluidly that nobody really knows even that you're doing it, they forget that you exist in there. That's a gift, and that should be honored, and you should be so grateful that you have it. And on that note, I'm so sorry, we're totally out of time, but let's do this again because you have so much creative and spiritual wonderment to share with the world, and I would love to have you back to do that. And I would love to do that. This is, I cannot believe the time has gone by. This, it's, it was wonderful. Yeah. And I find it so magical, just ending on this, so magical that Universe had us talking about theater. I mean, I yeah. just love it. I love that. We went from, you know, the play and our loss 
and what we got from our losses to theater, uh, there's nothing better. Wonderful. Where can people find you online, my friend? They can find me on Facebook, uh, Wendy Brian Michaels. Uh, they can find me on Instagram, at Wendy for Ellie. Um, Twitter, Wendy underscore Michaels underscore. And my website, wendybryanmichaels.com. Wonderful. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. What a talented person. What a gift to have her here. Um, till I, uh, I'm at SheenaMetalSpiritual.com. That's where you can find a lot more about me on social media, just at SheenaMetal. And until I see you next time, my friends, seek peace, live in love, lead with kindness, embrace unity, always raise your vibration, and remember that you are loved and you are loved. I'll see you next Tuesday at 5 o'clock Pacific time. It's Raising the Vibration right here on LiveParanormal.com, iHeartRadio.com, and uh, take care of yourself.